Coming up, it's time to release the greens. This week, we'll have a special guest on to talk about rich golfers and their less-than-market lease. And in other salt news, there was an update to the calcium chloride, as well as an LRT alignment update. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 21. Uh, We've got a great episode here today with a secret guest coming. It's 22. Mac has given me the two. I'm not editing this out. We're doing it (laughs) live, okay? Uh, Live to tape, and we edit it extensively. Going right into the rapid fire segment. A new poll suggests that 46% of Canadians are only $200 away from financial insolvency. A combination of rising interest rates and stagnant wage growth are said to be the culprit. However, in an exclusive set of interviews, Speaking Municipally sent out the street team to figure out what Edmontonians think. The clear consensus was, it's probably the damn bike lanes. The City Hall waiting pool, or Little Splashy Puddle, as it will soon be known, is on track for 2019 opening. There is now a tent installed to keep temperatures consistent as they pour concrete and granite. Uh, If you're wondering how exactly granite is being poured... So are we. But it's in the press release. Uh, perhaps we will never know the secrets of the tent. Over a thousand trucks pulled out of the convoy Tuesday morning, so what was planned to be a glut ended up only as a small trickle instead. Asked whether another convoy was coming, organizers responded that there was nothing else in the pipeline. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Praise be to our Lord and Savior, Ralph Klein. Thanks to him, we can now buy electricity from any provider we want. One of those is Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. Thanks, Ralph. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price you pay. Learn more at parkpower.ca. So, speaking municipally, it's back and. Mac, you and I are here, but we also are joined by Edmonton man, Michael Jans. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're here to talk about something pretty specific. You're involved in a specific group of people. What is it? The Friends of Our Park. Oh, not the We Hate Rich People Club. Um, We're Bad at Golf Club. Tell us what the Friends of Our Park is. So the Friends of Our Park, uh, you can find us at friendsofourpark.ca. We're a group of uh, community members, park enthusiasts, conservationists, political taxpayer advocates, uh, uh, just a conglomeration of people who, following the release of Elise Stolte's article, uh, realized that uh, we weren't getting our fair share when it comes to the Mayfair land. So for those of you who don't know, if you've been to Horlick Park, there's a equivalent park the size of Horlick, just to the north on that same same little uh, peninsula there, that occupies 154 acres, uh, and it's called the Royal Mayfair Golf Club. Now, I for years, I've always thought it was a privately owned piece of land that was sold to a, a rich cabal of golfers, but actually, it's our land. It's city-owned land that is being leased to this organization uh, for an enormous amount of time, uh, somewhere into the, the 20, 2040s right now. And this group uh, is, at the moment, trying to get that lease extended to 2069. So this issue is going to be coming before council this year. We heard it will be uh, in January, but it's been bumped sometime in March. And we took umbrage with that because uh, we truly believe the River Valley is for everyone and that uh, we as taxpayers haven't been getting our fair share from this course. And uh, we think that uh, having the this this huge amount of land, 154 acres, 
to be the private domain of 475 shareholders who pay an enormous amount of money, a $40,000 share price buy-in. That prices a lot of us out. So it's a very good deal for very few people. And uh, we want to see council have a have a bring that scrutiny to it that they brought to all other areas of our budget this last round. So I have a lot of questions about this. Uh, one right off the top, there's a lot of causes out there that need a champion. Why this one? So a group of us uh, see this as sort of well. First of all, this is the first one that's up. This is the first major golf course that's coming up for review at 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 the city of Edmonton, and and really it's it's a combination of a bunch of different things. So there's climate change elements here. There's river valley conservation elements here. There's taxpayer fairness and public interest uh, concerns here. There's governance issues here about how such a decision was made for for a 25 year lease into this city for virtually nothing. I should add that the the lease cost that the club pl- pays, we haven't seen the lease, but we hear. It's somewhere around thirty thousand dollars. So that's like per year. Yes, right. And then on top of that, they pay about one hundred seventy grand in property tax, which is virtually nothing. Uh, when you think about it, that's it's the same size of like an entire city neighborhood in within steps of downtown, steps of the university. It's prime River Valley land. I mean, this could be our central park. And there's all sorts of questions here about. Should it be a public golf course? Should it be a city golf course? If they are going to continue operating the Mayfair as it is, should it be maybe uh, uh, accessible to citizens one day a week, two days a week or something? And uh, is it fair that they're paying virtually nothing or the cost of renting a house for a year? It's it's nothing. So, uh, yeah, this this flagged a bunch of things for us. And, you know, at a time when city council's raising bus tickets to 350, and right. many of us just finished fighting to keep our community pools open. And now we see that everybody seems to be getting nickeled and dimed except for the ultra rich this seems to be a a major justice issue for us in the city so you've brought up a lot of issues there and they're sort of all over the map what's a a win look like for you here is it like an end to subsizing the rich is it more transparency something else all of the above what's what's the goal well, I think right now uh, we should absolutely be asking councillors to say no to a lease renewal to 2069. Uh, that That's an enormous amount of time. When we think about where we're going to be with River Valley, uh, with climate change, with the River Valley uh, in terms of water levels and everything else, does it make sense to be allocating for 50 years from now uh, that these few people are going, these few hundred people are going to continue to get to, to use the course in perpetuity? That doesn't seem fair. So I think there's some issues there that we need to look at. Uh, another win would be just if council actually just opened the kimono, so to speak, and said, here's the lease, here's the deal, here's how much they're paying. Because we've heard conflicting things. We've heard some, there's there's some in and out that council may actually be, there's elements of the, the Mayfair land or lease deal that they may not be paying. We don't know. We don't even know what we don't even know. And this is part of the problem when we've reached out to councillors and to city administration. It said, oh, we cannot comment on this. It's a lease being done behind closed doors. Well, it's our land. Like many of us are aghast that we're in this situation in the first place where a prime jewel of the River Valley has been the exclusive playground of 475 people uh in in perpetuity virtually uh and and to even think that for another 20 years they're going to have exclusive access paying virtually nothing as the rest of us get our property taxes increased and and the rest of us are trying to cost out a living here in the city it just seems like really really unfair and so we're we're asking council to take a look at it so i think there's a lot of wins i think some of us and some some of us we've we we would like to see the golf course closed altogether some of us would like to see the golf course turned into a city golf course some of us would like to see some sort of a renew, lease renewal where they pay an exponential amount more. Some of us would like to see um, a, a, another thought altogether. I've heard from some other groups saying, well, why can't we just buy in and become the, it's city's land. Why don't we just buy it up 
in 2040 and turn it into like a uh, a soccer pitch or an ultimate frisbee park or something there's i think i think the first step is we just have to have the dialogue get edmontonians thinking about it and really as route as a uh, peter law said you know we have to think like owners and we are the owners of this land and city council really needs to look at this we've got one of our volunteers has been doing a history of the course and it appears that this last lease renewal happened by just four members of a council committee that just gave away 154 acres and for over two decades so there's a lot of things here that even if you don't care about this one issue i think it speaks to broader decision making and good governing issues that your podcast listeners are fans of it sounds a lot like a particular unsuccessful movement uh, occupy wall street that was sort of a leaderless organization that had a lot of issues that care about you said you know a lot of people think this and this and this is there a leader of friends of our park is there someone that's going to be presenting with council with this is clearly what we want or is there the risk that your message gets muddied from all the sort of different perspective you're trying to bring to the table very very fair comment and i think that's part of the problem here is we learned about this issue in in late december before christmas we had some sort of a scrambling response in early january and you know right now there's a there i would say there's um a number of people who are very regularly emailing and sharing and researching and doing work that some of them will become the mass of of this movement i think almost all of us have have had uh positive responses about you know yeah we should ask for more we should get more this is should be this doesn't seem fair uh how that will actually materialize um fair comment and uh that that's yet to be determined and i think this is the problem with sort of citizen activism is that uh it can be really hard and you're operating against uh you don't even know what you don't even know and uh we're a bunch of uh ordinary folks just trying to Edmonton citizens with <laughs> yeah, no well, affiliations whatsoever. Well, I, well, and, and, and I mean, some of us have, have, have more experience in advocacy than others, but the first step is get it in front of the counselors, get the counselors to commit that this will be a public discussion that Edmontonians will know if their counselors are going to say, yes, that we think it's fair that 475 people get their own playground for another 25 years. Uh, okay, well, let's have that debate and let's make sure it's known and let's make sure this doesn't just slide through some administration renewal or some backdoor committee. So uh, I promise I'll let Mac ask questions, yeah. but I'm hosting, so I'm going to keep, <laughs> keep hammering in. I got to talk faster. Um, so the, you mentioned that you want to bring this forward and have a public discussion. Is there anything on the map for that to happen right now? Is there an agenda item that you can all speak to? Is there an opportunity for the public to even weigh in on this at the moment? So Councillor Paquette has indicated that he would be he would be uh, taking action to through the governance channels to the effect of what what you're referring to and and uh, other councillors have through through responses to constituents said that they would support uh, public more public dialogue as well too. We think it's really important to hear from actual Mayfair members as well too about their thoughts and feelings here. So far, we've gotten a few uh, emails from people who insist they're not Mayfair members but defend that it's a very fair deal, but they're not Mayfair members. So we, okay, well let's hear about it. Like we want to hear hear other sides of this too and um i think all of us can agree edmonton's gonna have two million people by 2041 does it make sense to have the same lease deal uh for a golf course that we had in 1920 when the city has 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 changed so much and the climate crises the water issues everything else that we're facing um it it i think it deserves a fair shake and it's not just in edmonton it, this golf course issue is happening around around north america and and malcolm gladwell did a really good podcast on this called the good walk spoiled which references a lot of these issues about taxation and revenue and land use and everything else too what has the reaction you mentioned a little bit but what has the reaction from council been to you guys in particular so far 
when this happened, when we when we launched, it was right after Christmas. Many of the counselors were away on holiday. I think only one could be reached for comment. Almost all in their emails have responded like, yeah, yeah, we're going to we think there should be public discussion and debate. But um, as such, they've been responding to constituents and generally every I think ever all the counselors, I think some of them, to be honest, were caught off guard by this whole thing. I don't think they quite realized the terms of the deal for the Mayfair. I don't think they realized what was uh uh, what had gone on, what had been committed, and uh, so we've uh, we've received certainly um, expressions of interest. Was it scheduled? Do you know to be coming to council, or is it because you guys made it a public issue, or Elise also made it a public issue that it is now something the council's like, no, we've got to put this on the agenda. We had heard that it was uh, there was something to be coming in January, and then that something has morphed into something else for March. I see. Okay. So I'll be honest, when I first read this, I think the Edmonton Journal article said it was 2051 that the current lease runs until they're looking for the extension to 2069. I'll be honest, part of me was like, this is really far away. Like, why should we care about this now? And you've kind of talked about some of that a little bit, but have you heard anything about, you know, is there an exit clause in this lease? Like, is Great question. There was a termination clause actually in the lease that was uh, negotiated out. The city used to have a one year they could cancel at any time, uh, but the Mayfair got that bargained out at the last round uh, when, when the council committee. So we're working on a history of the issue that we'll be sharing. And that's one of those points that we think is patently unfair and just a terrible example of, of uh, um, a public oversight for, for our own city land. Uh, so yeah, that's part of it. And, and yeah, we, we were discouraged as well about such a, such a deep duration until 2050 or 2051. But the alternative is if we as citizens don't speak up now, it's going to be locked down again until 2069. Right. So this is, this is just insane. And, and it's, it's a, a really good opportunity to ask our counselors on whose benefit are you making decisions? And, uh, what about the other 900,950 of us that are not Mayfair members? What? What about us? What benefit do we possibly derive from a virtually free lease to a golf course? Having posted this on Reddit, uh, I got to speak to the internet people about this. And one of the frequent refrains that was heard was, well, I go to Horlack Park and it's not crowded. Uh, so why do we need to double the space at, on the taxpayer's cost? I went to the Henday last night at 3 p.m. and it was totally uh, 3 a.m. and it was totally empty. I don't understand why we need more roads either. You know what I mean? Like it when do you when do you go to Horlack? Harlick, I've been there and it's jammed and you can't get up you can't get anything. And another funny thing, we heard from Heritage Festival volunteers who are feeling like they've got a really raw deal from the city here that they can't even get a one year lease. To, for the Heritage Festival. It's like a they marquee even festival. A, a barn. Storage and they barn. they <laughs> built that tent and gave it to the city of Edmonton. They, they've done so much to, to Horlick Park, and yet they're being uh, uh, pushed out and treated like stray animals. Well, and then they look right across the fence, and there's the pristine Mayfair in a 2069 lease application? Are you kidding? So it really is who benefits here? Who is this city for, and who will our mayor and city council be looking after? I mean, if we're just talking about festival costs, Mac, you've run festivals before. You know how much it costs to run a festival. They cost money. Do you think $170,000 per year for an entire thing? Heritage Days is paying that at least, right? Well, I mean, in some form, I suppose, when you add up, like, the police and the transit and everything like that, like, there's a big significant cost that's involved in a big, big public festival like that. I well, don't and know they what bring the Heritage 400, Festival pays, but... they The Heritage Festival brings 400,000 Edmontonians to the park over one weekend. I mean, the Mayfair, I think it would take, what, three decades to get to that kind of usage? And yet it's the same amount of land. You're obviously on the side where... You don't want to see them continue with the status quo. I get that. But can you see any good things that have come out of 
the Royal Mayfair leasing this land? Like, have they been good stewards of the land? I heard that they, it is open to the public in the winter for skiing. You know, so that's, some that's something that, uh, to, to be honest, I didn't know, and I don't think anybody knew until right. Elise's article came out. Uh, Elise's article has has uh, um, has really kicked off a little ski renaissance down there in the center of our city, which is wonderful, and uh, and that's great. And uh, I have heard from some people who say that they really enjoy the Mayfair. There were some tournaments that were held there in the past. And, and I've heard some estimates that they brought in some money for the city. Although I'm always dubious about self-reported estimates of revenue. It's kind of like that never ask your barber if you need a haircut kind of thing. Uh, so I've heard I've heard that there have been benefits there. I mean, I myself have been to events at the Mayfair Clubhouse when right. I was at the University of Alberta. The, they regularly use that space. It is gorgeous space. It's one of my favorite winter walks in the city of Edmonton is if you walk around the perimeter by the by the river valley and you look up and you see government house and in, in the night and you're under a full moon it's i mean it's just pristine it's some some of the most gorgeous part of edmonton and and it irks me that for the last uh 15 years i've always thought it was uh private land i couldn't go on little did i know that i could have got my skis and gone out there and uh we've also heard that unlike other amenities elsewhere you can't use the washroom at the mayfair you can't go into the clubhouse there's no public benefit there in the winter it's like you get your you go to your car you get your skis you do your business you get off the line sort of thing so we're hoping to see that at a minimum changed right and i hope that this debate right now that Don Iveson and council go to go and and say regardless of what happens in the lease extension i think there's some real public benefit issues that we need to talk about. Uh, Naomi Klein, you've probably heard the name before, favorite of the left, uh, wrote a book recently called uh, No is Not Enough. It's really about politics down in the United States and about Trump, but kind of the bigger message is, you know, we can protest against things and we can say no to things, but it's much more powerful if we can offer an alternative storyline, an alternative perspective, another future, a viable option. Uh, what would you like to see happen on the land that you raise a really interesting question here too and i think one point that we've noticed is that uh there's certainly a generational issue to that i think for my father's generation to be very wealthy and to have made it uh something like a private golf club country club membership would be something that was coveted it was good right. for business typically ceos or higher-ups would get these memberships and that's how business was done now i think with our generation um part, partly it's economics but partly i think it's culture too that we go to Transcend. We go to Starbucks. We 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 do a FaceTime call with each other, and we we make business deals that way. I think the whole business proposition that you're going to be able to sell forty thousand dollar shares and the ten thousand dollars a year annual dues to a bunch of millennials and Gen X and the next the next gens. I don't think that's there anymore. I think that um, their whole model is struggling, and so I, I I worry really for the long term use that we're going to lock in this lease to an unsustainable organization for an unsustainable um, operation, and and not notwithstanding water drought everything else too. So for me, I think I think the real the the win here is to to uh, to say no to the lease. Um, to generate fair revenue on what we have now through to property tax adjustments or whatever else. I think it's outrageous that they're only paying 170000 if they are. And I think really having a, a, a conservation conversation about the valley and how we can uh, maximize the the natural outcomes that we want for for animals and, and flora and for people and to, to optimize the, the engagement there too. Uh, if the Mayfair is to continue as is, is it fair that uh, all, a lot of us are priced out or shut out from playing there? That we can't go unless we're one of the, uh, you're rubbing shoulders with one of the other members somehow, somewhere that can get you in. Is that fair? Um, is it fair that it's capped at 475 when this is our land? And similarly with the Mayfair, I think this whole conversation is these questions we're asking about who benefits 
uh, and and for how much I think we need to be applying to a lot of uh, the city infrastructure and and for all of us. I I'm a big fan of uh, uh, the free public transit conversation that's happening. I think you can very clearly say here's the spend, here's the investment, here's the opportunity cost. I'm not sure we can with some of our golf courses and some of our other investments. So uh, let's let's have the conversation. As we're getting close to wrap it up, I can start to inject my opinions right in. It's sort of unfair to suggest that friends of Mayfair or friends of the park uh, need a counter narrative when there's no lease publicly available. Like we don't know what it is that the Mayfair is either paying, what benefits they're doing. What We don't know anything about this. So how can we counter the narrative? Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Uh, I'm not suggesting that I disagree. I love. Mac the idea is a Mayfair of, member. He I, has forty thousand dollars. I heard he wants to leave our oil in the ground. I do. Uh, no, I, I like the idea of transparency. I think that's really important. I think that's a great thing that could come of this. Even if they end up renewing the lease or extending the lease to 2069, you know, maybe if the lease is made public, they renegotiate in the um, you know an exit termination clause. So if we want to be able to do something with that land, we have the the option to do that. I think that would be a a positive thing. I bring up the alternative narrative uh, just because it's easy to poke holes at things and it's much harder to offer a compelling you know, oppor- opportunity or what could come forward, right? Yeah, and and some have said, why why the Mayfair? Why not the other courses? Well, the Mayfair is the one that got greedy here. They're the ones that asked for an extension until 2069, ostensibly because they need money to uh, renovate their clubhouse or something. And, and 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 when we read that, we we're like, are you kidding me? 475 people who could shell out 40 grand can't chip in. I mean, we've been to community league fundraisers who have built playgrounds for less than that. Like, you've got to be kidding me. A 25-year lease for this? Like, because you need some new shingles? Like, come on. And even then, we don't even know what they're planning on building. Is it a new planetarium? Is it what? And technically, um, members of our group have said that any kind of uh, River Valley development is is illegal according to our River Valley bylaw, which I didn't know we had, unless it is deemed essential by council. And I'm not sure how much a extended luxury golf clubhouse is going to be essential. We're getting close to wrapping up. Uh, if people want to support this organization, if they want to find out more, what can they do? What What's their call to action? Friends of our park and uh, sign up and, and uh, first of all, just write your city council and share your thoughts. Uh, thank you, uh, Edmonton citizen Michael Jans. I like walking in the park. I know you have to go and you'll be taken off here, but thanks for coming in. Thank um, you. Goodbye. And good luck. So that was Michael Jans, who talks very quickly. So those of you who listen to podcasts on two and a half times speed, you might have had to change the setting for that segment. But we crammed a lot into that and we still got a bit more to cover today and we're tight on time. So let's jump right into it. Today, we're recording on Tuesday because Troy's going skiing in Banff. Yay! Yay! Uh, I have to get out of the city. It's so horrible in winter. (laughs) Um, But we had calcium chloride come back to city council this week, and it wasn't supposed to come back. And in fact, Linda Cochran was pretty upset uh, and very hesitant. She said, I didn't want to open the debate uh, into calcium chloride, but the global news story warrants some insight. And this is what we covered Last week. Right. So the memo that had been sent from a couple of engineers to um, higher ups at administration about the negative impact of calcium chloride was not shared with council. Council's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The public is in an uproar. We need to know about why. I was in chairing this meeting, tried to keep it all about procedure. And, you know, administration's response was that this is pretty innocuous. Uh, we thought about giving you the memo as an attachment. Right. But we decided not to because it was too detailed. Uh, whether or not... Um, too detailed is a reason not to include something to council i personally don't agree with but i can see where they're coming from like i think i mentioned last week 
I don't expect them to be an expert on roads and calcium chloride. And, you know, they, they have to have some trust in the administration to give them the information they need to make a good decision. Yeah. It's questionable whether or not they made a good decision in this case, but. There was all that. But uh, good old John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast, uh, he jumped in and uh, tried to make a motion to cancel all calcium chloride usage. And this was really interesting because we had our first, I think, of this term, motion ruled out of order. Nice. Uh, yeah, so essentially John D. he jumped in and he asked some questions and said, oh, let's learn more about this. And he's right. like, you know what, chair, I'd like to make a motion to cancel all calcium chloride usage. And the chair's like, oh, well, I'll need to get back to you. Uh, the result of that was to cancel the calcium chloride usage in the pilot would be to substantially cancel the pilot itself. Right. And council already had a vote about canceling the pilot, which they voted to proceed. John D was on the losing side. So one of the winners has to vote to reconsider this content within a year. Um, they decided, nah. Keep going with the pilot. We'll keep going with the pilot. Uh, so that had to be a little bit upsetting. Uh, the end result is... The pilot's continuing. There were a couple interesting nuggets of information that came out, one of which was that the province has been using calcium chloride on the Hende since time immemorial, basically since the Hende has existed. So probably calcium chloride is a bit of a buzzword. Um, it's not actually doing all this damage that we think it's doing, and it's just that the city is using more salt. And talk to anyone from Montreal and ask about their rust bucket of cars. Salt will just rust stuff. That's uh, what it does. So that's calcium chloride. I'm sure we'll revisit this as we learn more. But there was another item that came up. Uh, trains. Choo-choo. What happened? Council talked about um, two updates, essentially. Amendments, revisions to previous concept plans that they had already approved. So that was for the Capital Line Southwest and our Capital Line South, I guess, which goes from Century Park to Allard. And then the Metro Line Northwest, which goes from Blatchford to Campbell Road. So extensions of those existing lines. And Council approved this. The The main change on the Capital Line is a new center loading station at Twinbrooks. So they added a station there. Um, the majority of the rest of the changes are uh, adjustments to how the intersections are going to work. Is it an underpass, an overpass, that kind of thing. And uh, the other change on the Metro Line um, was to have a, a, the big change was a bridge crossing is now preferred over the CN yards at Yellowhead Trail. So that was kind of a, a big change. Um, on the Capital Line, big thing is that they deferred one of the decisions until the plan for this new Heritage Valley neighborhood is done. So basically what they did was say, we've learned a lot in the interim years since we first approved these concept plans. Let's make some friendly amendments basically to incorporate what we've learned and that passed. It was pretty boring, Sorry, yeah. but there was some interesting stuff that happened. In the middle, uh, Cart Mel, a counselor from Ward 9, he got up and basically said, you know, I, I want to consider BRT instead. Uh, and for those who haven't been an avid listener of my content, BRT in Edmonton is a dog whistle word for I hate transit. Uh, that is unequivocal fact. But so BRT, bus rapid transit. Bus rapid transit. The what does Cart Mel mean by bus rapid transit? Indeed, what does he mean? So BRT, as it's supposed to be implemented, is you have... Dedicated right-of-ways, it's basically like building the same thing as a train, but instead of building tracks, you still have a road, and then you run quick buses down there. Right. Uh, in Edmonton, a lot of counselors and a lot of uh, media folk misunderstand BRT and think, hey, if I put a bus on a road, that's BRT. And they say, well, we could pay, pay a billion dollars for LRT or get BRT for free. Not understanding BRT. Um, and so we've had this discussion on and off. We had it a lot during the last election when uh, Sarah Hamilton raised BRT in Ward 5. Um, but the end result was basically 
every counselor stood up and basically said, with the exception of John D from Ward 3, they all said, nah, we're committed to LRT. We're going to keep going forward. Uh, one of the interesting quotes that came from Cartmel during this was he mentioned the bus system redesign and how we're not putting any new investment in the bus system redesign. We're just reallocating resources, which fair point, uh, you know, without new investment, you can't really expand service. But he said that not serving the tips of the city was robbing Peter to pay Paul, which almost sounds like it's apt, like, oh, we're taking from one area of the city to better serve another area right. of the city. Except one area of the city doesn't use transit and another area of the city desperately needs transit. Uh, so I thought it was very telling that you had this suburban councillor not committing to our well-informed LRT plans and basically saying, oh, well, you know, if we're not serving the tips of the city why should we serve the core areas of the city it was it was why i was certain that brt is still code word for i hate transit i'm less less angry at don iveson now and the other counselors <laughs> they ramped up their i hate transit and, it, and it, the brt motion failed um his referral failed and they approved the changes to the existing concept plans and it took a couple hours of just counselors all making sure to get on the record as if someone was listening to the meeting other than me which they're not and they all stood up and said, no, I support LRT. And, oh, thank you, Counselor. I also support LRT. Pretty hard to get funding from the other orders of government when you have a split council opinion on whether or not to build it. Yeah, and Iveson did mention that as one of the key risks. Speaking of risks, take one. It's the most Edmonton thing you can do. Gondolas were one of the risks that the Edmonton Project took, and you had a lot of infatuation with Elise Stolte's article this week. I know, we're talking about Elise again, but her, her column about the Gondola Project, and she called it a sad critique of Edmonton's openness to new ideas. Uh, she kind of argues in the column that we should support people that have these dreams, people that have big ideas. We need to find a way to at least explore the idea before we just shoot it down. And uh, and I generally agree with her and that I do want to support people that have good ideas. But I think it's naive, as I said on Twitter, to pretend that there's not a cost associated with exploring these ideas. I mean, in the Gondola Project in particular, they had a motion to get a report on how much it was going to cost to get a report on how much the gondola would cost. Like, it was insane the amount of time that council and administration spent talking about that, let alone the rest of us. I'm talking about it again right now. You know, the Transit System Advisory Board chose this as one of the items that they were going to explore. We had all this fanciful stuff about gondolas going through White Avenue and across the River Valley. And it sort of takes away, I think, from some of the important conversations that we could have had. So that's the opportunity cost and the sort of real cost that is uh, is the, the time that goes into this from the people at the city and from council. And I think it highlights to me that there's a real disconnect here between people that have great ideas and how we bring them forward into some sort of a process to have them be considered. And, and not every idea needs council input. In this case, you know, it's going through the River Valley. It probably need to be some bylaws changed. It's going to need some input from council. So how does an Edmontonian bring an idea like that forward and do something with it? Uh, and it highlights that we don't really have a good mechanism for that we're hearkening innovation and sure there's health innovation and tech innovation and you can start a company in Edmonton but if you actually want to innovate our built form and like make the city a more adaptable and interesting place to live what's your option for that there's we just don't have a process for that now I don't want to suggest that anybody should be able to bring an idea to council and have them consider it because things would just slow to a halt we'd never get anything done right so clearly there's got to be some barrier to entry 
for somebody with ideas. But the Edmonton Project, maybe you can argue, went a little bit further than most people would do. They didn't just write up a post and say, we want to build this. They actually thought about it. The Transit System Advisory Board did a deep dive into the issue. Another one I'm thinking about recently is High Level Line. They also you know, put a lot of energy into actually doing some planning, some urban planning into what it could look like. So those types of ideas you know, that have some work behind them seem like the kind of things that we should try to find a way to support or at least to explore. So, Mac, uh, it's very easy to tear down an idea, but you got to suggest a counter-narrative. So what what would you do instead? Um, it's a good point. Noted. I, I think administration and council just need to work out uh, two things. First of all, their communication back and forth. If council feels like they've given direction on something, they need to work out with administration how they know that they've gotten that direction because too often right now it feels like they're not aligned. So council may say we've given direction that we'd like to increase transportation options across the river valley and administration be like we don't really have that direction so that's a big disconnect that they need to sort out which is where some of these projects go to die and then the second thing i would suggest is they just need to figure out that process and come up with something and it could be as simple as a web form to start to gather those ideas it could be you know an in-person type of event that they have there could be some other public meeting that they make available like there's options on the table it here it could be a citizen board so you know they have just like we have etsab or right the ets transit advisory board or some other boards and advisory committees maybe there's an intake process of citizens that say Oh, you should consider these ones right so there's options they just need to work out what's going to be the most expedient and i think importantly take a risk and try it. And if it doesn't work, iterate, fix it, do something different to improve upon it. You know, start with a conversation with these folks and see how could we have helped you bring this idea forward more successfully. I, I really, I'm 100% behind what you're saying right here. I think gondolas are right. Stupid idea. Me too. I don't want the gondola at all. <laughs> but the ideas in general, we need to find a way to, to explore. So uh, that's about going to wrap it up for this week. As we mentioned before, uh, Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. So I get to read you our second ad. The Undead Podcast is a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network, hosted by local journalist and performer Trent Wilkie. The podcast explores being a parent in this day and age, which, as a new dad myself, I quite enjoy. Episode 36 is the latest. It's actually a best-of episode, which means it's a great place to start if you'd like to get into the podcast. You can see it at theundad.com or at the Alberta Podcast Network website, which was recently spruced up to make it easier to navigate and to better showcase the podcasts that are part of the network and the sponsors that support them. You can check it out at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You know, I'd consider doing a clip show for Speaking Municipally at the end of last season, but when I went back and listened through it, every episode is the same, just Troy complaining about crosswalks and trains. So free transit. Yeah, what are you going to do? That's all for this week. Um, you know, we're sponsored by Taproot Edmonton, and we were mentioning before the show that you do Taproot Edmonton full-time. People subscribing to Taproot Edmonton buys you food. Yeah, you should support Taproot Edmonton because we're offering you value and doing great work, and because Mac needs to eat. Uh, memberships are $100 a year or $10 a month, and you can find out all about that and how to support us at Taproot Edmonton. And until next time, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And I'm Michael. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.